Welcome to the 236th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast. This is going to be a very, very short episode, at least comparatively to uh, normal, because I have had numerous issues trying to record the podcast. Um, It's just going to be me, and I don't have, uh, you know, personally, I will just let you know, I just came out of an exam. I expected to uh, just open my computer, record it the normal way that I would record it if I was in person with my dad, um, who because of timing conflicts, uh, can't be uh, on this podcast today. Um, And that method didn't work. I kept having issues. I had already recorded 10 minutes of it, and when I went to play it back, it didn't work at all. Um, And then, when I tried to record it via Zoom, which is how we do when we're virtually, my Zoom crashed. So uh, I'm recording this from voice memos on my phone. I know obviously no one really cares. This is not football or basketball analysis. But it's just to let you know why this episode will probably only be about 20 to 25 minutes because I already spent 30 minutes trying to troubleshoot different issues uh, and I don't have the time because I'm going to fly back for Thanksgiving tonight so I don't really have the time to uh, re-record this somewhere else. Uh, But nonetheless, I will chug along, go quickly. Um, Our topics are as normal, an overview of my weekend predictions, uh, looks at college football in the NFL and looks at the NBA and college basketball. Um, and we're going to start, as always, with my weekend predictions, but I probably won't game won't go game by game, excuse me. Um, starting in the NFL, I went 2-2. Two and two. In college football, I went 3-1. and one. Uh, In the NBA, I went 2-2. Two and two. And in college basketball, I went 3-1, and one, which brought me to a 10-6 and six combined record this week, 873 and 572 overall. Uh, aiming to hit 900 wins before hitting 600 losses, that would put me at 60% through 1,500 games. That'd be a nice little marker to hit there. Uh, We'll see what happens with that. Um, But look, I won't go into any of these games uh, super in-depth, but if you needed a refresher on what the uh, games were, uh, the Ravens beat the Bengals 34-20, and the Bills beat the Jets 32-6. Those were my two correct predictions in the NFL, and then my two wrong predictions were the Browns beating the Steelers uh, 13-10 and the Eagles beating the Chiefs. I picked the Steelers and the Chiefs. Uh, Lost close games, but a loss nonetheless. Uh, In college football... Uh, the three games I got correct were Georgia beating Tennessee 38 to 10, number 22 Arizona beating number 17 Utah 42 to 18, number 21 Kansas State beating number 25 Kansas 31 to 27. I should have mentioned that Georgia is obviously number one and Tennessee is number 18. Um, and then the one that I got wrong was number five Washington beat number 11 Oregon State 22 to 20. I had predicted Oregon State, but that game was really really close, really really fun to watch. I'll talk about them more later. In the NBA, the 76ers beat the Hawks 126-116, to uh, and the Bucks beat the Mavericks 132-125. to I got those two right. The Thunder beat the Warriors 130-123 to in overtime, which I got wrong, and that was the second game uh, that they played against each other over the weekend, but I was picking that game. Um, and the Magic beat the Pacers 128-116, to and I got that one wrong as well. In college basketball, number 21 Villanova beat a very, very struggling Maryland team 57-40, to uh, San Diego State beat St. Mary's 79-54. to That was my only wrong prediction of the weekend, and I'll talk about St. Mary's more later. Um, and then number five, UConn beat Indiana 77-57, to and Clemson beat Boise State 85-68. to uh, But now the action's starting to heat up based on some of the tournaments going on this weekend. But overall, I'm satisfied with my weekend predictions. Uh, I thought I had a pretty good week, uh, and I will move on now after that very, very quick recap to college football, starting with the best games of Week 11. Like I said, I'm going to go lightning speed through all of this stuff today just based on my time constraints but I did still want to get this episode out and I did still want to have my points uh, on a lot of these games although I'll probably skip over a few of them uh, going into too much depth based on the time that I have. 
Well, Michigan barely escaped with the win over Maryland, 31-24. Although, you know, this game probably appeared closer than it actually was. Michigan was up 16-3 at the end of the first quarter. It was up 23-10 at the half. Maryland did their job in the third quarter keeping the game close, but Michigan's defense really never let Maryland uh, threaten to actually tie the game up. Um, Their drives that were going to tie the game up never, I don't even think, made it past Michigan's 50-yard line, maybe even past like the 10 or the 20 um, because of some bad field position for Maryland. Michigan's looked weaker without Harbaugh, though. That's worth noting, but guess what? It'll all be, it'll all sort itself out this weekend when Michigan plays Ohio State. Um, And by the way, they looked really, really good this weekend beating Minnesota, but we're not going to talk about that game because I don't have time. Um, Number five, Washington beat Oregon State 22 to 20. Credit to Oregon State's defense for pitching a shutout against Heisman candidate Michael Penix in the second half. Um, Obviously, that was induced a little bit by the rainy conditions, and just in general, it was a really, really hard environment to uh, have a successful offensive game, but that also plagued Oregon State throughout the game, had to settle for too, too many field goals, and as a result, lost that game by two at home. That was a great game, though, Um, a very good representation of what both these teams were capable of. I talked about it in our preseason preview of the Pac-12 that Oregon State was more, a more than capable team, uh, and they would just need to have a few things go go right for them to maybe even be a dark horse contender in the Pac-12. And the fact of the matter is, this game this weekend would have changed that. Um, if they were 6-2, and two, uh, if they had just made a few more plays, gotten some conversions, and eventually kicked the game-winning field goal, all of a sudden they would... Uh, Washington, obviously, would still make the Pac-12 championship in all likelihood, but Oregon State would be at 6-2 and two and have a matchup with Oregon, who has one conference loss already to Washington... Uh, with the chance to beat Oregon, take that tiebreaker, and actually advance to the Pac-12 championship game. But unfortunately uh, for the Beavs, that is not how things uh, played out. Then you have number nine, Missouri. They beat Florida 33-31. to This game shouldn't have taken as much effort uh, as it did, but Missouri did get the win in the end. And that same thing goes for number 10, Louisville, who beat Miami 38-31. to You know, my, my commentary on both these teams is that these are not typical top 10 teams. They didn't have the preseason hype. They haven't been blowing teams out. They've really just come up with close wins at home against the teams they needed to beat. Uh, And they've played a few ranked teams that at the time looked good, but, you know, maybe after the fact have kind of fallen off a little bit. You look at Louisville's wins over Notre Dame and Duke. They don't look so good anymore. I mean, Duke is barely Duke is going to kind of stumble into their bowl game at six and six or seven and five now uh, after that being a ranked game originally. And, And same thing with Missouri's big win over Tennessee last week. It was a top 15 matchup then, but there's a strong chance Tennessee's not even ranked next week. Um, So, you know, these teams, though, they're definitely deserving of the rankings because there's kind of a big void in between that those top five or six teams if you want to, well, I'd say the top five who were all undefeated and then, you know, the six through eight group of Oregon, Texas, and Alabama. There's kind of a big void behind all of them um, in terms of the clear, clear top teams. But, you know, they're filling the void because of their resume. They deserve to be there. It's just that they might not be as talented as typical top 10 teams are. Uh, benefit a lot from schedule. And Louisville kept it close to Miami. Only won 38-31. It required a fourth quarter comeback uh, for the Cards. They were down 23-28 to going into that fourth quarter. They scored 15 points and ended up taking home the victory. Uh, not exactly an impressive performance, but nonetheless, they will be playing in the ACC championship game against Florida State and a backup quarterback. Uh, Tate Rotermaker, now that Jordan Travis is out for the season, that's a terrible injury for Florida State. I thought that this team was a playoff team before the year. It's in my predictions. You can go back and look at it. Only game I had them losing was to LSU, 
And I thought even that might not happen. And I talked about that on the preview of the ACC. It didn't happen. Florida State ran the table. And all of a sudden, here we are talking about them as being a playoff team. If they can just get through the road matchup with Florida and Louisville with a backup quarterback. But that is going to be a difficult task without Jordan Travis. Uh, kind of the heart and soul of that team. Then you have number 16, Iowa. They don't really have a heart and soul on offense. They are really built on defense. Uh, one late touchdown propelled them to the 15-13 victory over Illinois. This is just on here because Iowa has clinched uh, the appearance of the Big, 12, Big Ten excuse me, championship game um, and will be playing the winner of Michigan-Ohio State. So it's worth mentioning that, and it was a close game too with the ranked team. Um, and then you have number 21, Kansas State, who went on the road and defeated Kansas. Kansas probably would have won this game if Jason Bean or Jalen Daniels were playing, but uh, neither of them did. They're both injured. And as a result, Cole Ballard had to step in. He, he played fine. It's just that, you know, he, he's young. He shouldn't be expected to win big rivalry games like this against uh, teams that are very well established like Kansas State. And as a result, Kansas State walked away with the victory. Uh, that's all I have on the best games of the week. Now I'll move on to the most impressive teams of Week 11. Uh, number 17, Arizona, beat number 22, Utah, 42-18. to 18. I mentioned this briefly on my predictions. Arizona just whacked Utah. I mean... I knew they were going to win. The, well, I can't say I knew they were going to win this game because technically that it was that's not possible. But I was very, very confident they were going to win this game. I did not think they were going to destroy them. I mean, they have done this before. They beat Washington State 44 to six. Although you know Washington State's now five and six on the season, so not exactly the best team themselves. Um, but fact of the matter is, this is a really, really impressive performance by the Wildcats to get. I think their fourth ranked win of the season now. Uh, by beating Utah, and as a result, they land on this list. And then finally, the biggest upset of Week 11. Not really many upsets at all. Frankly, Clemson was actually a six-and-a-half-point favorite, but uh, the six-and-four Clemson Tigers did take down the number 20 team in the country at uh, North Carolina, so I'm putting them on here just because, you know, the ranks differential there, even though Clemson was favored. Um, but Clemson did win that game 31-20, to looked better on offense, looked better really everywhere, um, and as a result, they were able to take home the victory. And now I will move on to a look at the NFL. Starting with the best games uh, of the week. In the NFL, the Rams came back from behind uh, 10 points in the fourth quarter to make a fourth quarter comeback and beat the Seahawks 17-16. Uh, Stafford looked good in this game despite being injured, and Sean McVay continues to improve his record over Pete Carroll, which he's really just dominated this rivalry. Um, the NFC West is very, very linear. It's always, no matter how good the teams are, the Niners always beat the Rams, the Rams always beat the Seahawks, and then the Cardinals, you know, it kind of depends on the team um, in the year. But look, that th that cycle has always existed. Um, it probably will always exist. And the Seahawks, by the way, always overachieve against the Niners too. So it's kind of a weird little circle going on there. But that's always how it works. Um, and the Rams, despite being three and six, and the Seahawks being six and three, they take home the victory. Um, the Packers got a big win this weekend, beating the Chargers twenty-three to twenty. Maybe not a big win for them, but a big loss for the Chargers. The AFC is stacked. You can't lose games like this. Um, and the Chargers just have done that way too many times over so many different years. Um, Brandon Staley just, I, I don't know how this dude is still um, in that job. The Chargers really haven't had a good coach in a very long time. Um, they've had a lot of talent and not a lot done with it. And as a result, you know, I, I'm questioning uh, the long-term system of the Chargers uh, and the Packers. Meanwhile, they had a good weekend, but the Chargers also had a, their fair share of opportunities to uh, seize control of this game. Quentin Johnson with the big drop where he probably could have been in field goal range with just a little bit of a catch and run. And he was wide open, but he dropped the pass. So it didn't even matter that there was no catch and run. 
I mean, so many things happened in this game. Keenan Allen dropped a touchdown. He was wide open. Uh, Justin Herbert should be upset. Chargers fans should be upset. Uh, and overall, just not a good season for them. Talk about who it was a good season or is a good season for, though. The Texans, they won 21-16 this weekend over the Cardinals. Not much to say individually about this game, but the Texans are now 6-4. and four. Uh, And when you look at some of the other teams that are, you know, fighting for playoff contention uh, in the AFC, the Broncos are at 5-5 five and five in a tough division. The Bengals are at 5-5 five and five in a tough division. The Bills are at 6-5 and five in a tough division. Uh, the Steelers are at 6-4 and four in a tough division. The Texans are at 6-4, and four, and their division is terrible. So they should be able to really easily at least get the wild card spot. Uh, there's a potential that they could overtake the Jaguars for the divisional lead. They're only one game back, and they did beat them in their first matchup. Uh, so watch out for the Texans. They're looking really good. C.J. Stroud looks amazing, and they have like four or five receivers who are really, really good um, at everything they do. Tank Dell, Nico Collins, Robert Woods, Noah Brown, they're all very good at individual things, and Dalton Schultz is a tight end, kind of brings it all together. Um, so this team has a lot of weapons. Uh, their defense has also played really well, despite you know maybe not having the notable names that a lot of other teams have. And as a result, the Texans are 6-4 and four in the year. Uh, also 6-4 and four in the year are the Steelers, almost inexplicably because they've been outgained in every single game of the season. But the Browns did that again this weekend, and despite starting DTR because of Deshaun Watson's injury, they were able to walk away with a 13-10 victory uh, over the Steelers on a walk-off field goal by Dustin Hopkins. The Lions came back, scored 17 points in the fourth quarter um, to beat the Bears. The Bears actually took an early lead. I believe we're up 10 to nothing in this game, but the Lions did lead at half, but then the Bears took it back again. Uh, they were leading 20 to 14 heading into the fourth quarter, but the Lions got a fourth quarter comeback uh, out of Jared Goff. He had a lot of mistakes on the day, but he did end up gutting out the victory with some great offensive execution at the end of the game. Uh, and then Aiden Hutchinson steal it with a strip sack that was kicked out of the back of the end zone for a safety. Um, then on Monday Night Football, uh, I don't know why I did Monday Night Football before Sunday Night Football, but I did. Uh, the Eagles beat the Chiefs 21-17. This game was ugly. Both these teams did not look like their Super Bowl selves, um, but we can move on from that because, you know, it was raining. It's just like Washington and Oregon State uh, didn't actually pretty much the exact same game, honestly. Um, it just didn't look good from the Chiefs on offense. Too many drops. Second half just was awful. I mean, Kelsey fumbled. Mahomes threw a red zone interception. I don't remember if that was the first or the second half, but uh, that did happen. And just overall, they just looked sloppy. Uh, and the Eagles were able to capitalize on that and get the few drives they needed to win the game. Also made me very upset in fantasy, but that's a different conversation. Uh, the Broncos beat the Vikings 21-20. This was a vintage Russell Wilson comeback. I don't know if 5-5 five and five is good enough. I already talked about how stacked the AFC is. I don't think they're a playoff team. But the way the Broncos have been playing recently, uh, if they had just started out the season okay, they would be a playoff team. It's just the fact that they started so poorly that will prevent them from making it in all likelihood. Um, and then move on to the most impressive teams of Week 10, starting with the Ravens. They beat the Bengals 34-20. to Obviously, Joe Burrow was knocked out of this game. This is all the way back on Thursday Night Football. Uh, but the Ravens' offense looking really, really good once again, and they get the victory there as they uh, extend their lead over the rest of the AFC North. And with the Browns at 7-3 and three with a backup quarterback, it really looks like the Ravens are the only team healthy enough and good enough to actually win this division. Um, they're looking like a prime Super Bowl contender, honestly. It's, it, right now, I'm looking at the Ravens, the Eagles, and the Chiefs, and, I'm, and the Lions, and I'm saying those four teams are the ones I'm looking at, and a little bit the 49ers as well, but I just don't know if they can get over the hump uh, with Brock Purdy because, you know, we, we've tested this theory before with Niners quarterbacks, and they've gotten there plenty of times. They just haven't sealed the deal at all. Um, and then you have the Bills. They uh, went, They won 32-6, to really, really big victory 
Um, they moved to six and five. They needed to get back on track this weekend, and their defense especially did that. Uh, they changed offensive coordinators to Joe Brady running the plays now instead of Ken Dorsey. And then speaking of the 49ers, uh, they are now seven and three on the season after beating the Buccaneers 27 to 14. Once again, trying to get back to the Super Bowl and actually reach the mountaintop this time by winning the game, but we will see what happens with that. Uh, although the NFC looks pretty weak, so they probably have a pretty easy route there. Uh, we'll see if the Lions are up to the challenge. Uh, if there's a Lions-Niners-Ford Field NFC Championship game, I would love to see that. Um, really good offense against really good defense in that game if that happened, but that's looking way too far ahead. Uh, the Jaguars beat the Titans 34-14, completely shut down the rushing attack from Derrick Henry and the Titans, um, and were just able to get enough points on offense. Obviously, 34 is more than enough. Um, but just get consistent scoring throughout the game, and eventually, I mean, they're just better than the Titans, honestly. They have just surpassed them. Trevor Lawrence is just better than any of the quarterbacks the Titans can throw out. Will Levis might get there eventually. He's shown the signs of promise early on, um, but right now he's just not at that level. Uh, but that's all I got for the NFL for this week. Obviously, like I said, trying to move through this as quickly as possible based on my time constraints. Um, so I will move on now to the NBA, starting with the most impressive teams of the week. I will start with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They went 4-0 this week. They beat Portland. They beat Golden State twice, including one overtime victory. Um, and they beat San Antonio. Look, the, th the Thunder have drafted and developed very, very well. Um, and now that the young squad knows all of their roles, both the Jalen Williamses, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chet Holmgren, uh, now you add Chet Holmgren to that mix, I should say, um, it, things are really looking great in OKC, honestly. They've kind of arrived way earlier than we expected them to. Uh, they're 10-4 and four to start the season, which is crazy considering all the draft capital they still have uh, in the next few years and how young their players still are because they're not even close to fully developed. Um, and Holmgren, by the way, did send the game to overtime against Golden State. So he's starting to develop the clutch gene. We'll see if the Thunder can carry that through the rest of the season. They have good energy around that team, though, and I really am starting to believe that OKC might be here to stay earlier than we thought if they can keep piling up these wins and not kind of fall apart down the stretch like they did last year, uh, they will be a playoff team. And I think right now, I think right now the floor for them is at least a play-in team. Uh, I think when you look at the rest of the teams in the West, I think they're going to be able to surpass some of them just off of how many young players they have available that will, you know, step up on a night-to-night -night basis um, and a true star in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. But speaking of teams similar to that, uh, the Cavs, who are anchored by Donovan Mitchell, who's not necessarily a young star, but he's younger than... The Steph Currys and the KDs and the LeBrons of the world. Uh, they went 3-0 this week. They beat Denver, Detroit, and Portland. And you know, while the schedule wasn't the hardest, they did take care of business and picked up a hard-fought victory over the reigning champion Denver Nuggets. Uh, they started 4-6, and six, excuse me, so a positive week like this was definitely necessary for the Cavs. Um, sticking in the East, I have the Bucks, who went 4-0 this week. They beat Washington, Dallas, Charlotte, and Toronto. Look, this team is just ridiculous on offense. Um, 128 points or more in every game this week, and that's just probably scratching the surface of what a Dame and Giannis duo is capable of. Giannis had like 43 points last night on 20 of 23 shooting or something like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous um, how efficient he can be, and when you pair that efficiency with the volume that Dame can put up and, you know, just the potential to go for 60 points on like 30 or 40 shots... Um, like two or three times in a week, honestly, at some point in the season. It's just a ridiculous team that they have. They are definitely one of the teams to beat, obviously, along with the Nuggets, the defending champions. Um, but the NBA is fun this year. I mean, I, I could just say that definitively. And speaking of fun, I haven't even mentioned the big three of the Suns, who I still, th I don't think they've played together yet. Maybe last night they might have, but I know as of a few days earlier, 
Uh, Bradley Beal did not play, and as a result, Booker Beal and Durant hadn't played together yet. But just like the Bucks on offense, um, and just like the Cavs on in terms of overall, this team started four and six and needed a great week. They got the great week by beating Utah twice in Minnesota and have now climbed above 500, following three straight 130 plus point performances. Uh, just ridiculous offense. I, I I do think they might have a need at the trade deadline to find some guys who can pitch in on the defensive end more um, in, in terms of role players. Obviously, they're not going to find a star who can do that. But, I mean, if they were somehow able to make an OG and an OB trade, I, I don't think that's possible because I don't think they have enough draft capital for that at this point. But if they somehow did that, whew, this team would be really, really hard to beat. Um, but I'll move on now to teams who are easy to beat, who aren't hard to beat at all, actually. Uh, least impressive teams of the week, starting with the Rockets. They went 0-3. I had so much hope after their little winning streak, uh, but they lost to every single California team this week, uh, except for Sacramento. Uh, they lost to Golden State, the Lakers, and the Clippers. I didn't think they were for real, as I mentioned last week, but it was a bigger step back than I would have anticipated. Uh, I guess they're just really streaky, and I brought up that possibility last week because they started 0-3 and then won six in a row. Uh, but they're losing the credit I gave them last week. They were close in all three losses, but good teams find ways to win close games. I just don't think they've reached that point yet based on them being based mostly on youth with, you know, Jalen Green and Jabari Smith. Obviously, they do have Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, but, you know, you, you want to have your young stars also uh, take some chances in the regular season, take some shots down the stretch, and that ne- hasn't necessarily worked out perfectly for the Rockets, but they will figure it out long term. Uh, then you have the Wizards. I don't know if this team will figure it out long-term because their drafting is pretty terrible. Um, They have not drafted well at all, uh, and they also haven't done a good job of making trades. Uh, They lost to Milwaukee, New York, and Dallas. They're now 2-11 on the season, and now rumored to be looking to move on from Jordan Poole after just 13 games with the team. Uh, It's just a disaster. I have no words other than that for this team. They are just terrible. Um, Then you have the Spurs. They were 0-4 this week. Uh, They lost to to the Clippers. Uh, Memphis, Sacramento, and OKC, they are 3-11 and on the season after a 3-2 and start. There was a lot of intrigue around Wembenyama, obviously, and it, it, it's well it's well received, it's well-deserved. Um, but as a team, this team is just struggling. I mean, they're just not that good. Um, and that's to be expected. They picked first overall last year for a reason, but they haven't really taken the step forward despite getting a guy who's now averaging, I think, 19.5 points and 9.5 rebounds per game. Uh, as a team, they just haven't made that step forward yet, though. But we'll see if the Spurs can figure that out long-term. And finally, you have the Portland Trailblazers, who went 0-4 this week as well. They lost to OKC, the Lakers, Cleveland, and Utah. The Blazers are in complete freefall, just like the Spurs and the Wizards. They are now sitting at 3-10 after seven straight losses, and the Blazers did not reach 100 points once this week. That is the clear struggle for them. It is on the offensive end. Um, But that's all I got for the NBA. Like I said, keeping everything short and quick. We'll now move on to college basketball. I will start with some great action on Tuesday night. Uh, The Champions Classic every year never fails to deliver. Number one, Kansas beat number 17, Kentucky, 89-84. Really close game. Kansas really does look like the number one team in the country. Uh, Kentucky would later this week go to overtime uh, with St. Joseph's. But, you know, they actually looked way better than I expected to uh, in this game. They're young, so they'll get better as the year goes on. Um, but then you had number four, Marquette, who beat number 23, Illinois, on the road, 71-64. Uh, I believe Illinois might have been favored in this game, but Marquette just has too many weapons. Um, I'll talk about it more uh, later on, but this team is just ridiculous. I mean, this team is really, really good. They are going to live up to the preseason hype, and I'm glad that I was on the preseason hype train as well. 
Um, number eight, Creighton beat Iowa 92-84. Iowa has performed above expectations to start the season for sure. Um, working with some new pieces and not exactly having, you know, a star like a Chris Murray, a Keegan Murray, a Luca Garza in the fold, but they're still looking good overall. But Creighton, just too many weapons, just like Marquette, uh, to lose that game. But although the Gavit games overall were really, really interesting, um, you know, including that Michigan St. John's game as well. Uh, then you had number nine, Duke, who beat number 18, Michigan State, back to the Champions Classic, 74-65. Look, I'm just going to say I'm happy I didn't think Michigan State was a top-five preseason team. I had them at seventh because I really just, out of necessity, they had to be somewhere up in that mix based on everything they returned. But I never really believed that this team was a surefire Final Four team, although, you know, they might not play like one throughout the regular season. They might end up as one anyway because of Izzo. Um, but the fact of the matter is they don't look like one now. Um, and speaking of not looking like a Final Four team, and by the way, Duke looked pretty good in this game as well, but um, I want to see them against some more opponents because we're not exactly sure what Michigan State is at this point of the year. Uh, but speaking of not looking like a Final Four contender, uh, number 16, USC lost at home to UC Irvine, 70-60. to No words, just a big upset. Um, then you have number six, Houston, who beat Utah 76-66. to uh, This was an interesting event where Houston was just way better. They were head and shoulders above the entire field of the event. But there were some. There were a lot of teams that were, you know, hunting around the bubble um, that were playing each other. You had Utah, you had Wake Forest, St. John's, Dayton, North Texas, all in this event. Um, and in the end, uh, it was Houston who came out on top. And I think it was St. John's who came up with third by beating Utah. And then Dayton was the team Houston beat in the championship game. And we'll talk about that later. Um, but Houston looks pretty good to start the season, just looking like they've turned over talent like they do all the time, and they just still look great. Talking about two teams that didn't look good this week, Michigan lost at home to Long Beach State, 94-86, and UNCG beat number 14, Arkansas, 78-72. Uh, Long Beach State is a worse team, but I would argue UNCG is a more embarrassing loss because Arkansas has a lot of preseason hype, as always, whereas Michigan was supposed to be terrible. Um, picked to finish 10th or 11th in the Big Ten. And they have played above expectations until this game um, by beating St. John's, and Michigan also has the opportunity... Uh, to rebound from this. You know, maybe they were looking ahead uh, to the battle for Atlantis where they're playing Memphis, and they got caught a little bit and also were, you know, bathing in the glory of beating St. John's at MSG a little bit too much. But we'll see what happens when they refocus. Uh, speaking of St. John's, they and by the way, Arkansas, I believe, is also in that battle for Atlantis field, so they actually could play each other this week. Um, but speaking of St. John's, they lost to Dayton, 88-81. to That made Northwestern's resume look a little bit better. But they lost to Mississippi State 66-57 without Tolu Smith. Northwestern not looking like a fringe top 25 team like I had thought before the season. I still think they're a tournament team, especially when you look at the fact that there aren't many challenging games on the non-conference schedule. They should cruise to like a 10-1, uh, 9-2 type non-conference. This is probably the one game they should lose. Um, they beat Dayton in probably one, one of the harder games uh, of the non-con. So Northwestern, as long as they can beat the teams in the middle of the Big Ten, pull off one upset over Purdue or Michigan State or even Illinois or Wisconsin at this point, they should be fine. I just don't think they're as good as I thought they would be. Um, speaking of not as good as I thought they would be, San Diego State demolished St. Mary's. St. Mary's is just horrible. I mean, they have they might get better as the year goes on, but right now this team is just bad. Um, no more words for it. I'm sorry I'm being so scathing to all these teams, but I don't really have time to go into uh, individual in intricacies. I just kind of have to give one word to describe them. And for St. Mary's, that word is bad. Um, then you have number five, UConn, who beat number seven, who beat Indiana 77-57. Indiana was supposed to at least compete in this game. Uh, they didn't. Uh, UConn looks really good. That's all I can say about that one. 
Uh, number 12, Miami beat Kansas State 91-83 to beat, I, I think to win the, I think it's called the Bahamas, the Bahamar Bahamas Championship, something like that. Um, it's in the Bahamas, I know that. Miami looks really good. They look like a top 10 team. I would put them in there right now, and uh, especially when you consider their past experience, Norchad Omir coming back, Nigel Pack coming back. This is a really good team. Um, really bad team, if you want to talk about it. After their big comeback win over Minnesota by one point, Missouri lost to Jackson State. Um, that's a huge upset. Uh, Dennis Gates claimed Jackson State is the best 0-5 team in the country. They are the only 0-5 team in the country. Um, so that is, he's right, but they still suck. Uh, Missouri uh, just not playing well so far. Uh, probably shouldn't have been close in that game with Minnesota. Um, and it really makes me question how good Memphis is because that was their big win was beating Missouri. But what if this Missouri team just isn't very good? It's a very interesting conversation to have, and we will figure it out soon because Memphis is about to play a bunch of good competition um, in the battle for Atlantis. Then you have number six, Houston, who beat Dayton 69-55. That was the championship game of that little uh, exhibition tournament. I forgot what it was called. Maybe the Shriners Children's Classic, I think, in Charleston. Um, Houston just, again, head and shoulders above the rest of the field. I was surprised that Dayton got to the championship game. I, I expected that to be St. John's or Utah, but look... Credit to Dayton for getting there without Malachi Smith as well, who's now going to be out for the season, I believe. Um, they lost him in the first few games, but they have started to find their identity without him, and they're looking like they will be a prime contender in the A-10. Then, finally, you have the best time of the year, the Maui Invitational. Uh, and this year, oh my God, this field is ridiculous. Five top 11 teams. Today, you have two matchups that are between top eight teams. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second. Number two, Purdue beat number 11, Gonzaga, 73-63. to 63. Um, And then you have number four, Marquette, who beat UCLA, 71-69. to 69. That set up matchups after Kansas beat Chaminade and Tennessee beat Syracuse. Sy wow, I said that oddly, but Syracuse. Um, that set up big games between Marquette and Kansas, number one and number four in the country, scoring off, and Purdue against Tennessee, number two and number seven. I am praying that my playing Wi-Fi works and I can watch those games, even though I have some other work to do that I probably should do instead, but, you know. There's always time for college basketball, um, especially the Maui Invitational. Uh, those two games are huge. Obviously, everything uh, around the Maui Invitational, it's not even in Maui. It's not in Lahaina because of the fires. Uh, they've been doing, ESPN's been doing a lot of good work promoting the uh, restoration efforts there. Um, and it's in Honolulu for now, which also caused a Hawaii game to be scheduled for like 1.30 in the morning on the East Coast. I'll talk about it. That's its own different story. Um, but... Look, that tournament has a ridiculous field. Uh, what I can say so far is that Marquette, like I said earlier, has a lot of weapons. They played horribly in the first half, missed a lot of free, th missed two front end of one and ones uh, from free throw shooters that were 70% or above. But Sean Jones came in with the big shot at the end of the game after Cam Jones had fouled out. He was 0 for 4 from 3 in the game. Uh, UCLA left him open, and he just stepped into a shot, hit a 3 from the top of the key with about 30 seconds left, and that propelled him to the win. Uh, in the Purdue game, I should mention, Zach Eady was huge. Gonzaga didn't really have uh, anything to stop him. Graham E.K. did well, but he got in foul trouble, and that really derailed the game for them. And Purdue has so far knocked down shots at, at a rate that's good enough that they should be able to avoid the early upset like they weren't able to last year. Um, not quite sure. I do think right now this team is still very clearly a top three team in the country, um, but we'll just have to see kind of how things carry out. I mean, I would love to see... Purdue score off with Marquette or Kansas, and they will have to if they... Well, they're going to play one of them, actually, no matter what, in the consolation game, uh, even if they lose. But these next two games are going to be really, really defining for Purdue. I expect them to go one and one, honestly. I expect them 
to either, I, I think they're going to beat Tennessee, but then I do think that the winner of Marquette, Kansas, no matter who it is, is going to beat them because uh, both of those teams have guys who can deal with uh, Zach Eady. Hunter Dickinson, very familiar with doing that. Um, and then also Iguodaro, I just believe he can do that. Um, and I think Marquette would outshoot Purdue a lot. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it'll happen. So we'll find out in the next two days and I'll talk about it next week. Um, the last two games I want to mention though, or Wisconsin beating number 21, Virginia, 65 to 41. Wisconsin had a rough start to the season, uh, but they're now kind of rallying um, and looking a lot better. This was a huge win for them to pick up uh, in an event. I don't exactly know the name of this event. It's the one that I didn't know. But in the Empire Classic, number five, UConn beat number 15, Texas, 81 to 71. UConn looked way better than any other team at this tournament. Um, Texas o- only barely got to this game by beating um, Louisville, on a buzzer beater from Max Ma- from Max Acemas, excuse me. Um, I'm not so confident in Texas. I never was to start the year, though. Um, but they're probably still floating in that 20 to 25 range. But I've talked too much. I said I had time constraints. I kind of blew through them. We'll, we'll all, I can deal with that next podcast if you guys want to hear me rant about it, but I won't. Um, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 28th where we will once again look at my weekend predictions, look at the final week of college football action in the regular season, uh, review NFL Week 12 action with a bunch of Thanksgiving games and the first Black Friday game ever, uh, have another review of the NBA season, and have another look at college basketball action, which will be a long one because there are a lot of games and a lot of good games. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including the 4th and 24 college poll, college football poll, excuse me, that's posted every Monday, my NCAA tournament battle, bracket uh, that will be posted tomorrow. I don't know if it'll be night or morning. It kind of depends. We'll see. Um, And my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday on our website, 4th24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening to this rapid fire edition of the 4th and 24 podcast.